Today's scripture passage is going to be out of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Um, You can follow along with me in your Bibles or on the text behind me on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So Advent means, uh, if it's a, some of us are kind of familiar with that word, and some of us may be a little less so, Advent means arrival or appearing or coming. That's, that's, that's what it means. And, and Advent is a, is a church season. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. So this is the fourth Sunday before Christmas. Uh, is the, the fourth Sunday before Christmas where the church traditionally stops and anticipates the coming of Jesus. It's when we look forward to seeing when Jesus is, is coming and the signifying of his coming at Christmas and, and also as we as a church look forward to his second coming or his second advent. So there, there's two advents of Jesus. The first advent or coming or arrival or appearing is the first Christmas that we re- remember that we're thinking about as we're preparing for. And the second is the one that is coming when Jesus will return and make all things right again. Well, he will return to rule and reign forever and ever. But you don't really anticipate or long for something if you aren't, if you're, if you, well, you don't anticipate something if you're actually longing for it, right? Uh, If you, uh, if if you think about like your Thanksgiving meal, whenever that was uh, on Thursday, or maybe it was Wednesday, whenever your Thanksgiving meal was, if you think about right after that meal, you remember like how appetizing all the food looked leading up to that moment where you're fixing your plate. But then you remember how all that food looked the, the five minutes after you'd finished and you look at the table or you look at the counter and you're like, that is so disgusting. And who wants to clean all that stuff up, right? You, our anticipation for something is directly tied to our longing or our hunger for something. And, and I think that this holiday season, probably more than most, gives us an, an opportunity to actually anticipate or long for this Christmas rightly. Because Christmas is about longing for something that has already been done, not something that is, we're trying to make happen ourselves. And that's kind of what 
what kind of happens for us, kind of this, this shift that occurs for us at Christmas is that we, we feel this, this press to have a, a wonderful family experience and to wow the people around us and on our social media feeds with all the great food that we're, that we're making and the wonderful time we're having together as a family and the sweaters that I knitted my kids and how happily they're playing with their, with their toys and stuff. And Christmas never really matches exactly what we want it to match, does it? But I think that this season gives us a chance to actually lean into that because we all know that Christmas is not going to look like it normally does. Already the holiday season hasn't looked like it normally does this year. Uh, I just, we cut on the uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade on, on Thanksgiving morning at our house and you know, they, I just thought, what is this perfect picture of 2020? Like the, the, the Thanksgiving Day Parade started and it was raining and it was a kind of a yucky day and there was nobody in the crowd and it was kind of like anticlimactic. You're like, well, just 2020, right? Uh, they, there's a, a, a house in our neighborhood that still has their Thanksgiving, uh, their, sorry, their Halloween decorations up and they have this like hearse that's drawn by a skeleton that has a skeleton back in the hearse and they have this sign up that says RIP 2020. And I was like, yeah, that's just like, that's just kind of like a, a feeling, right? Like, like that's just where we are. But I think this gives us a chance this year when it's not gonna be like we really want it to be, for us to really lean into that and to really long for the true reason that we are celebrating. Uh, These things can't really be the way that we want them to be. And what that reminds us is that we have very little control over what's happening around us. We have really, even very little control over our own lives, right? So that's why this, this season we're taking this four weeks leading up to Christmas and we're gonna look at the, the big picture story of the world and how Christ's coming or his incarnation, how Jesus' coming or his advent at Christmas, how that changes the story and therefore how that changes all of our stories. The advent of Jesus changed the story of the world and it can change your story and it can change my story as well. That's the, the story of Christmas. The, the Bible lays out this kind of the big picture storyline of the history of the world. And it, it's kind of most, you know, you can summarize it in these four words, uh, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's the storyline of the world, as the Bible tells it. Creation, God created the world. The fall, mankind fell and the world fell into darkness. Uh, redemption, Jesus comes to redeem broken by the fall and restoration. He's coming again to make all things new and restore everything, not just the way it was before the fall, but even greater than it was before we fell in the garden. And we're going to be looking at those over the next four weeks to see how God's story of the incarnation changes the world and can change your story as well. Let's look back at John, John 1 verses 1 through 5 which is the first part of the, the passage that Christian read for us. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He's talking about Jesus there. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness 
and the darkness has not overcome it. The first thing that John tells us as he's opening his gospel story, and this is, by the way, this is John, the apostle John, who is one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, the one who was closest to Jesus. We believe he's the one who slept by Jesus as they slept out in the open air. He's the one who at dinner, he would lean his, his head on Jesus's, his, his shoulder or his chest. He was that close with Jesus. He was the closest disciple to Jesus. And as he is telling us, interesting how he begins his story, his story of the gospel, of the good news of who Jesus was and what he did, the way that he begins his gospel, his story of Jesus, is he starts with, he uses a familiar phrase. He uses the phrase, in the beginning. And if you've read your Bible before, if you're a Jew reading the, the gospel of John as he's writing this, immediately it would have made, it would have brought back a tie-in to the way the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament begin. The way the, the whole Bible begins. It says, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, verse two, was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. In the beginning, John starts out his gospel, his story of Jesus, using the same phrase that Moses began to start talking about the whole Bible and the whole story of the world. He begins by saying, in the beginning. Then that, that's striking because it shows us, first of all, in the beginning, it means that before we were, before you existed, before we existed as human beings, before this world existed, before Mount Everest existed, before the moon existed, before the planet Earth existed, before the sun existed, before there was anything, any matter at all, before there was anything at all that we can relate to, that we can understand before creation was, there was something or someone before that. In the beginning. You know why that stands out the way that the Bible starts and the way John starts the gospel of Jesus? Because it shows us that there, there was a time when there was a beginning and if there was a beginning for creation, then where in the world did that come from? And it says that before creation began, however you think it rolled out, whether you think Genesis was, was word for word literal or you think it's figurative, however you put it together, before anything ever existed, before anything began, there was someone, something that predated it all. We can't even say predated because there was no dating, there was no time. There was something that was someone that was pre-existent before anything began in the beginning. There was someone before that. There was someone before that that spoke the world, that spoke creation, that spoke matter, that spoke the sun, that spoke the, the stars, that spoke the universe and all the galaxies. Someone that spoke into existence Mount Everest and the deepest oceans, that thought into existence every being that exists, every life form that exists. The science behind it all that holds it all together, he thought it up and he created it by the word of his mouth in the beginning before it was all. He existed and he brought it all into being. In the beginning, before that, there was God. You know what that means? That means that there was someone and something that is self-existent. 
God is self-existent. He has no beginning. He has no reliance upon anyone or anything else. We can't imagine that kind of existence. All of us, no matter how independent we might like to think that we are, the richest person in the world, the strongest person in the world, the most capable, talented person in the world is not self-reliant or self-existent. They rely upon someone and something else. If for no, nothing else than just to draw breath, they rely upon their beating heart. Have you thought about that? You can't make your heart beat. You can't make yourself come into being. We are incredibly and totally reliant upon other things around us. Even as babies, we can't exist without someone caring for us. And before everything began, before anything was spun into motion, before creation existed, there was one who was self-existent. There was someone who was totally and absolutely independent. That's what we mean when we talk about the holiness of God. I don't know if you've been around church very, very long, but you might have heard the term holy. There's lots of connotations that it has. It's a very churchy world, but where what it means at the very core of the meaning of the word is it means that God is other than us. He is apart from us. He is separate from us. He is absolutely and totally self-existent and self-reliant. He relies upon no one or nothing else. He has no need for food, no need for water, no need for rest, no need for shelter, no need for care. He has no dependence upon anyone or anything whatsoever. He is absolutely and completely holy or other than we are. In the beginning, before anything began, God existed totally, and he still does, totally self-existent and totally independent and self-reliant. And you know what that does for us if you think about it for very long as a human being? We don't tend to like to think about these things. We might have some moments where we mull it over, but we don't like to think about it because it, it confounds us as human beings. We can't wrap our heads around the idea that someone existed before existence existed. That someone exists who is absolutely, totally self-reliant and self-existent and other and holy from anything that we can relate to as human beings. We want to judge the existence of God by our intellect by our ability to understand whether it makes sense or not, like how the world was created and how it all unfolded and whether that makes sense and whether that adds up and whether that uh, aligns with science, which by the way, guess what? God created science. And if at any point we see that, the, that our understanding of God doesn't align with science, either we misunderstand God or we misunderstand the science. But God is utterly and absolutely self-existent and self-reliant. He exists, he is true, and he is real, and we can't understand it, and it confounds us because we want to. Because our way, our way of trying to understand and forcing things around us to meet our understanding is own way of proving, trying to prove to ourselves that we are actually God and he's not. He is absolutely and utterly self-existent and that confounds us and it confronts us. Because we can't understand it and we don't want to accept it. Because here's why. Because if it is true, 
If all of creation, if all of existence owes its existence back to the beginning, to the one who created it and spun it into being before anything, any time existed, if it is true, then it reframes all of our own versions of our own stories. In the beginning, God. He existed before it all. And he is the supreme one. And you and I owe every breath that we breathe, every heartbeat that our heart flutters, every moment of our existence we owe to him. John says, in the beginning, hearkening back to Genesis, in the beginning, then he says, was the word. And here John introduces us to Jesus, the the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus that John is telling us. Here's how he introduces Jesus. That's interesting because the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they begin with some version of telling us the story of the lineage of Jesus or where he came from humanly. This is who his dad was, and this is who his mom was, and this is the lineage if you trace it back. But John, the one who was closest to Jesus, you would think he would start with more personal, right? You would think because he was so personally close to Jesus, he would start with a a more personal story. But actually, the way John starts is he begins by describing Jesus as the word of God, the one who was with God and who was God from the very beginning before the beginning began, the one who actually spoke the world into existence, spoke creation into existence. John describes Jesus as the word, which is God's self-disclosure to us. It's how God shows us who he is. He doesn't start with Jesus in a manger, which, hey, is absolutely true. Something that we should think about how God came as a lowly man. He was born of a virgin. He was a baby lying in a manger. But John doesn't start his story of Jesus as a baby in a manger. He shows Jesus as the glorious second person of the Godhead, the only begotten son of the Father who existed before anything else existed and by whom and through whom everything that we see is held together and exists. This Jesus is described in Proverbs 8, verses 27 through 30. It says, when he, that's God, established the heavens, I was there. That's Jesus, the wisdom speaking in the first person. I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, Then I was beside him like a master workman. That's Jesus Christ. He's not just a a carpenter back in Galilee. He's not just a man. He was preexistent before anything existed. The master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. In Colossians, it describes Jesus as, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, not just by him, but through him. It Everything existed and it is all back for him. He created all things and it's for God's glory, for his glory. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is holding it all together by the word of his power. Jesus Christ himself today at this moment is holding existence together. 
He thought it up and he holds it together. That baby in the manger, the second person of the Godhead, the glorious son of God. And God, John opens showing us that this Jesus is God and he is worthy of worship. That is what all of us owe to that baby in the manger that grew as a man, as a carpenter, and was died a painful death and is risen again and is seated at the right hand of the Father. It's what we all owe him if he didn't even die for us. If he never came as a man, he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise because he created us. But then he says that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Verse six, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He's talking about uh, John the Baptist at this point, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He's talking about Jesus now. He was in the world. He's talking about the incarnation. He's talking about Christmas at this point. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The second thing that John tells us that not only was Jesus second person, of God, is the second person of Godhead and he created the world, but it says that he came back to creation. Do you hear that? The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, that's the incarnation, that's Jesus being born, that's Christmas, and the world was made through him, yet, the world did not know him. Here we see a change from that Genesis account that we got, right? If you read the Genesis account in Genesis 1, it says that God created, and he goes through how he created the heavens and the earth, and at every step, everything that he creates, he says what? He says, it was good. God created through Jesus, through the word, and he looks at creation, he looks at the world, at the, the beauty of his creation, at the wonder of the, all the animals and the beasts of the field and of the ocean and everything that's everywhere. He creates man and he looks at it all and he says it was good. In fact, he says it was very good. And yet something happened. We're gonna go into more detail next week, but something happened and all of a sudden all that he made that was good is now described by John as darkness. Something's wrong in John's picture of creation. In the beginning was the word and now he says it's not good, just good any longer. He describes the world as in darkness. The world in which we are created by God and for God, it says that we no longer recognized him as God. We didn't recognize, mankind didn't recognize Jesus as being Jesus. If, you, if, you, if you're familiar with the gospel story, maybe if you're not, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Read the story of Jesus, and it's remarkable how few people actually recognize Jesus as being the Son of God. Almost nobody. And the few people who get it don't get a full picture. Like one minute, Peter says, hey, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And almost literally a few minutes later, he's, he, Jesus having to say, get behind me, Satan. 
Peter, who had the biggest, clearest picture of who Jesus was whenever he's walking with Jesus, the son of God, he's the one who denies him three times. Jesus will get a large crowd and then he would say something the crowds would understand and they would all leave and he would turn to a few that were left and said, are you gonna leave me as well? The world didn't recognize Jesus as being the son of God because we don't recognize in our souls God as being God because we don't wanna acknowledge it. We are so darkened in our understanding that John describes this world, the system of this world as being darkness. Light, he says, came to darkness and the darkness did not perceive or understand or recognize it. That's why we don't see it. That's why we miss the point every Christmas. Because we miss the point every moment of every day. If we recognize God as being God, we wouldn't, let, we, we wouldn't be able to think or concentrate on anything else until we f- tried to figure out how can I get right with him? Or how can I give him what is due to him? The one who created and upholds and holds together the world and creation by the word of his power, who the, is the power that is powering the sun and all the stars in the heavens. We would not let a moment pass without figuring out how can I give him what is due to him and how can I, not be, how can I make sure that I'm right with him for all the things that I've done. For the things that I've done that are in rebellion against him and my general apathy. How many of us are apathetic and lethargic towards the God of all creation? You're surrounded in darkness. Darkness, John says, a light came. The word that created the world came back to his creation. I use the term came back, which is not altogether a perfect word, right? Because we know that God is everywhere at all times. We just said that he is holding the world and creation together by the word of his power. But in terms of coming back to the world system, in terms of piercing our darkness that surrounds each of us individually and us together, it says that Jesus, the word, came back to the world that he created. He came back to his creation and here's how he did it. He didn't come splitting the heavens. He didn't come saying, you peons, I gave you life and breath. I gave you water. I gave you food that tastes good. I gave you the ability to create coffee, which is amazing. I gave you so much goodness and yet you turned away from me. Therefore, just lightning, just flashing out of his fingers and his eyes and just lighting us all up until we just just burst into oblivion. That's how he could have come, light to darkness. That's what we deserved. It's what we deserve. It's what you deserve. It's what I deserve. That's how he could have come, light to darkness. But it says that he came differently. 
He came to show, not to, to blind, simply blind us with his light, but he came as light. He came as a part of his creation. He came as creation to his creation. The word, he tells us in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us. He didn't come splitting the sky and shooting lasers out of his eyes and fingernails. He came as a part of creation to his creation. He came because that was the way to bring his presence back to us and us back into his presence. He came not as a light to blind us, but as a light to show us the way back to the Father. Think about what it means that Jesus came, the second person of God had came as that baby in the manger who grew and went through his, I would normally say terrible twos, it probably weren't for him, he was probably an angel, probably changed his own diapers, I don't know, he was a God and I don't know how that works. He, he came and grew up as a man. He went through puberty he humbled himself to have to go to the bathroom. Think of how humbling that would be for God to have to eat, to get hungry, to sweat, to cry, to bleed, to know joy and to know heartache, to be dependent upon his parents and the people around him to lean upon friends who would forget him, friends who wouldn't be there for him, friends when he asked them, hey, I'm in agony, would you stay up with me? He would fall asleep. You think your friends are bad. To have friends that only would forget him and fall asleep on the job whenever he is in his lowest state, but friends who would actually betray him. for a small bag of money, friends who would deny him when everything was on the line, friends who would hide and deny they even knew him after he was dead in public. Think of how humbling that was, that was for God. You know what that means? All of that, it means, first of all, it means that God hasn't given up on creation. God became a part of his creation and it shows us that he hasn't given up on creation. I don't know if you've read or watched any news recently, but I've thought, man, if I was God, I just might wanna fold this whole thing up like, like a bad paper and toss it aside and let's start afresh and anew. Because we have a way of messing things up, don't we? We have a way of messing our own lives up. I can't seem to get out of my own way. I can't become the, the man or the person that I think that I should be, I know that I should be, the man I think I should become because I keep tripping over my own feet in the way there. 
yet God hasn't given up on creation. And we know that because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And you know what that means? It means that God hasn't given up on mankind, though we deserve it, though we've earned that. He hasn't given up on mankind. You know how we know that? Because he became a man. Christmas isn't a cute little story. It is a, it is a earth-shaking, creation-altering moment where God says, I haven't given up on you. The baby in the manger and in that, that cave stable says that God hasn't given up on you. Though we, you deserve it, though I deserve it, though we deserve it. He hasn't given up on us. It also means that God knows what it means to be human. Did you hear the list of things I said that he would have experienced? He hungered, he sweated, he bled, he got hungry. These are all things that scripture tells us that he experienced. And then John says at the end of his, at the end of his story, he says that it, I could not fill, it would take all the books in the world to describe all the things that Jesus did in his life. Jesus knows what it's like to be a human being. God knows what it's like to be a human being. Not only does, has he not given up on you, but he knows what it's like to be weak and frail and rely upon people and have people betray you and deny you and turn away from you. He knows what it's like to be hungry and to be alone and lonely. You feel lonely? You feel like people can't understand you and don't understand you? Do you feel like the odd person out? Do you feel like the single guy or single lady who is looking at everybody around you who's married as a family and you think you're the one who's left out? He knows what all those things are like. Have you experienced rejection by your parents? By your family members? There's a time where he was teaching and his mother and Brothers came to him to try to take him away because they were afraid he was, he was crazy. God knows what it means to be human because of Jesus. Jesus knows what it means. You know what else it means? It means that God has provided a way out of our darkness. You and I, not only does he understand, not only has he not given up on us, but he's provided a way out of it. That's what the incarnation means. It's what Jesus means. It means that he will not leave us where we are. There is a way out of our darkness. Even though he came to his own and his own did not receive him, he's provided a way out. It means that creation is forever tied to God and God is tied to his creation. Did you hear what I just said? Did you see that, that verse in verse 10 where it says, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. It's easy to miss the light. It's easy to miss Jesus. It's easy to not recognize him for who he is because we're so caught in our own darkness. And can you imagine this heartbreak? But you can't imagine the beauty of this because we all find ourselves in this, sex, in this uh, verse, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. He came to his own. The picture there is he came to his home or he came to his family. 
and they did not receive him. They did not accept him. He came to his own people, the people that belonged to him, the people, the, the Jews that he had brought to himself, that he had given the, his word to, that he had made a covenant with. He came to his own people and they did not receive him. Why would his own people reject him? Why would his own people not see him, not receive him, not bring him in, not welcome him with shouts and cries? The, the few times that we see that happening, the triumphal entry, like just a few days later, right? It's all, they're all gone because he didn't come with the sword and the power that he thought he was gonna come with. And so they're like, we're out of here. Why would his own people not reject him? Well, we wouldn't do it because we're blinded by darkness. It's like a fog that covers our eyes. Sin so clouds our thinking and so clouds our eyesight that we don't see what is right in front of us. If you had been in Galilee when Jesus was alive, you would not have responded any greater or any stronger than you do now. Because it's not God's glory that we're missing. He's made a way for us to see. It is our own sin and our darkness that clouds our seeing so that we don't see him for who he is. Why would his own people reject him and not receive him? Because, because we're often offended by the greater light of Jesus because I want to be the greatest light. When someone else shows up claiming to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that confronts me and it offends me because I want to be my own king. I want to be my own Lord. I want to be the brightest light in the room. And what I'm looking for is I'm looking for a way that I can find so I can be the brightest light in every room and every circle that I'm in. Why would his own people reject him and not receive him? Why would we reject him and not receive him? Because we often are too distracted by searching for our own light. We want any other light but the light of the world. We want to find any other way other than following him. But he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But this is a, an interesting wording, but it's a beautiful, uh, it's a beautiful wording if you think about it. His, it says his own people did not receive him. But then it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children or sons of God. He came to his own and they didn't receive him, but yet he says, and this is good news, but some people did and some people do. And what does it mean to receive him? It doesn't mean that you do anything. Does it mean that you earn anything? It means that you believe in his name. You know what that means? It just means that you accept all that his name represents. And you know what it represents? When the angel came to Mary and told her that she was gonna bear a son, she said, and he said, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from his sins. That's what it means to receive Christ. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children or sons and daughters of God. It just simply means that you believe in all that his name represents. 
that you are a person stuck in darkness and your sins, that he came to save you. And that's all that you have to do to receive him. You simply believe in his name and all that represents. That's all it takes to see. All you need in your own darkness, whatever you are doing, whatever you have done, whatever, whatever darkness you are stuck in, all you need to see is a pinprick of light through Christ and say, I can receive that. I am stuck in my darkness and my sin, but I can receive that. I can trust that he was who he said he was and he did all that he said he would do. I believe that he can save me from my sins. And to those who receive him, he gives the right. He gives the right, not just the power. The, the word there is the right. That means if you receive Christ in that way, and you trust in his name, then you have the right to be a child of God. And that means that no one and nothing can take that right from you. It is a right of yours now. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but you trust it and rely upon it and you receive it. And then really quickly, look at verse 14. I already mentioned it, but it says in the word that Jesus became flesh and he dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth. That word there, it says that the word became flesh. The word there is, it says that the word came and set up his tent among us or tabernacled among us and dwelt among us. That's the, the wording there, the dwelt among us. He became flesh and he dwelt or tabernacled there, dwelt among us. This is the amazing news of Jesus' coming. It's the amazing news of Christmas that God has provided a way in Christ to return us and reunite us to our creator's presence, that Jesus came and he tabernacled or dwelt or set up his tent among us. And it says that we have seen his glory. The glory is the nature and the character of God, full of grace and truth. God's glory, the nature, his nature and his character is grace and truth. And we see that married together in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Truth. He is righteous and he is holy. And we are separated from him in our darkness. But grace, he has made a way. Through the cross, to reunite us to the Father. He came not as a blinding, flashing light, but as light to show us the way, to bring us to himself. And Jesus, as we get a glimpse of him now in heaven, it shows us he is a lamb that was slain. That's how Jesus is shown to us. The glory of God is shown to us in Jesus in his grace and his truth towards us. We're getting ready to celebrate communion together, the first communion of this Advent season. And we remember that this, the lamb that was slain came and he tabernacled and dwelt among us. And that's why we say that Christmas is about 
God with us. God is now with us and among us as his people. His sanctuary is within us as believers and among us as his church. But here's the, here's the story that we'll end with. As we remember that his body that was broken and his blood that was shed, the lamb that was slain in his first coming, his first advent, we also look forward to his second advent and his second coming. When scripture says that he will split the heavens and he comes as the king of kings and the Lord of lords with a sword. And he will abolish and throw aside all those who oppose him and reject him. And so this Sunday, this first Sunday of Advent 2020, I think the first thing that we should do is check ourselves and see, am I ready for the second coming by accepting his first? And if you are, then say, am I really seeing the light that is shown to me, the glory that is shown to me through Jesus? Or am I letting the darkness around me creep in so that I don't see it and I miss it? And say, God, as I come forward to take the body and the blood, as I come forward to take the, the bread and the juice, would you help open my eyes to see your glory that's full of grace and truth. I'm gonna pray and the band's gonna come up and uh, lead us in, uh, in worship. There's gonna be uh, two places for communion, one on each side. You can come up and through either side, you'll, they'll uh, hand to you the, uh, the cup. The top part is the wafer, the bottom part is the juice. If you're a believer in Christ, we open uh, communion to you. If you're not a believer in Christ today, let today be the day that happens. Instead of partaking in communion today, come see me. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about what it means to be a Christian. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you in this Advent season that you came. That you tabernacled and dwelt among us. And that means that now, even now, you tabernacle and dwell among us as believers. And we thank you that you know what it means to be a human and yet you have not given up on humanity. Not only did you not give up on us, but you provided us a way through your son, light shining into our darkness. God, help this Advent season be one marked by us reaching out in faith and relying upon believing in your name, that you came to save the world and came to save us. Help that be more real to us than the things that try to pull us away from that. Let that be true this morning and going forward in the name of Christ.